0: Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett.
1: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about art. We're talking about making games look good, but also also function well, and we're talking to a person that I consider an expert in this realm, and that's Mr. Ryan Lockett. Ryan, really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Ryan, you run Red Raven Games, and it's a very interesting uh, setup you have over there because not only do you design the games, but you also do the art for the games, and you publish the games. You are the one-stop shop for the entire game process, and so really glad to have you on the show. I think you offer a lot of insight on how to make a game look good and work really, really well. Um, so man, just really excited to to hear from you. First of all, tell me just a little bit about the genesis of Red Raven Games, like how that whole thing got started. Like, give me the two or three minute synopsis of you know your company and why it came to be.
0: You know, I've been designing games since I was a kid, and I really wanted to get something published. Um, and you know, I seemed to be able to get a lot of art uh, jobs for people, but I couldn't get a game published. Uh, so I saw that. People were having some success on Kickstarter. I saw Alien Frontiers, and so I decided to try it myself with Empires of the Void. That was my first game, uh, sort of a space empire game, and
1: I just haven't been—I haven't stopped since. <laughs> gotcha. So you wanted to see your game get made, and you said, "You know what? I'll just do it myself." Is that kind of how it worked out?
0: Yeah. And and the other thing is, when I was doing art for other people, I was doing a lot of the, you know, I was learning a lot, and I thought, "Wow, I'm I'm doing so much of this." I there's not much left, you know, <laughs> that yeah. I haven't really done yet. So,
1: absolutely. And so, I mean, you've done games, Empires of the Void, you mentioned Eight Minute Empire, Near and Far, Above and Below, Islebound. I mean, you've had some really, really good games come out here in the last few years. Uh, but not only are they really good games; oh, they're beautiful. Like every game you've done has been just a really uh, good-looking uh, thing, just to have on the table. Not even just to play. The play is great, but just to have it look good on the table uh, has been awesome. And so, but let's, tell me about some of the other games you've worked on as well.
0: So, are you talking about like not Red Raven? Yeah, some games? of the
1: stuff you've done for other people.
0: So, years ago, I met Jay Temelson, who owns Rio Grande Games, uh, at a convention, and I came to him, I he was looking at prototypes, and I said, hey, I have this game, it's a space game, you should publish it. This was not Empires of the Void, it was sort of a Euro game in space, and uh, he didn't really, he wasn't into the game, but he asked if I wanted to do art for this game coming out called Dominion, <laughs> and uh, I said, sure. <laughs> I was happy to do it. I did uh, two cards in that first set, and that sort of got me started doing art for other people. So in the in the original Dominion, I did the Adventurer card, sort of, sort of a guy with a cape. And uh, since then, I've done uh, two cards, I think two cards, one or two in every expansion. And then uh, I also started doing some work for Z-Man games. Uh, my friend Alf Siegert, who also lives in Utah, he had some games uh, published by Z-Man. One, the first one was Bridge Troll, and uh, so I did the art for that one. He sort of—I I had met Zev at Essen. I had talked to him, but uh, Alf had also recommended—you know—recommended uh, you know, recommended me. So that sort of got me in the door there, and I did a few games for Z-Man Games. Uh, another one was Trollhalla, which is sort of a sequel to Bridge Troll. And then for Rio Grande Games, another one I did was called Rails of New England. It's a big railroad building business game, sort of an 1800s setting. It's it's cool. So those are kind of the big ones I've done.
1: Gotcha. And that's, that's really the main reason I wanted to talk to you specifically on this topic today, because not only do you have the experience doing art for your own games, but you've got a good bit of experience doing art for some pretty major titles that have come out from, from other companies. And so let's just jump right in, man. What are, what are some of the the biggest challenges in bringing together function and design? So making a game look really good, but also work really well.
0: Yeah, so that's something, you know, when I design games, I, right off the bat, I start thinking about, uh, iconography and card layout and, you know, making it very clear, uh, as clear as possible for the player because, um, you know, you want it to look good. And and here's one thing that's a challenge that I, I've, I've sort of, I felt like I've, I've been improving over the years at it, but, um, Instead of thinking about each individual card, it's important to think about like how the whole game looks on the table. Um, I think in my early days, I was mostly I was so focused on each individual card that you, know, I didn't think about that whole thing. But now when I go about creating the art for a game, I think right from the get-go, I, I try to get make all the components and set them out on a, on a table and, and see what it looks like. And see if it's clear, if it looks messy, if it looks inviting for someone, if it looks new, you know. If it looks too much like something else, then you know, that might not catch their attention.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also if a game just looks overwhelmingly busy, like there's just too much information, it could be a big turnoff for people. They say, Well, I don't I don't feel like learning all those rules. And it, the game might not even have a bunch of rules, but if it looks like it does on the cards or on the board, it could it could turn people away from it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you know, I've had um more or less success uh in that regard depending on the game <laughs> you know some games have so much going on it's hard to hide the complexity right. but really it's 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 that is a goal you know right from the get get-go is to sort of if a game is really uh complex to try to simplify that uh, as much as you can you know to i try to avoid uh, uh tracks like lots of tracks on a game for example I know some of my designs have plenty of tracks on them, but, um, generally I, I feel like if a player, maybe a, a casual player walks by or just a general game player, if, if you see too many tracks, it looks too much like a, a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah. that can be definitely a turnoff. Um, and I know some of my games like city of iron has plenty of tracks on it, but I try to avoid it in my newer games.
1: Gotcha. And so you, you mentioned city of iron, you mentioned, uh, issues with cards, what are some of the other specific challenges you've run into in some of the games that you've designed? Things that, you know, maybe you did the art and, you're, and then you step back from it and you said, man, this just isn't gonna work, so you maybe had to redo some things. What are some specific challenges you've run into?
0: You know, many times I've had to re... usually when I work on a game I have to redesign the cards many times. So I'll start out with what I think will work, and then as we're playing, maybe, maybe it's a tableau building game where you, you buy lots of cards, and maybe one card looks great by itself, or two cards looks good, but maybe near the end of the game, a player has twenty cards down in front of them, and if maybe they're all laid out side by side, and it just becomes unwieldy to like gather all the information on all those cards because you have to you have to think okay this card gives me some this bonus this card uh, adds you know adds to my income this card gives me food <laughs> you know soon if you have to look uh, through so many cards over and over again it it becomes a big mental weight uh and it can be very fatiguing right so um it's better it's it's always better if you can put icons sort of in the same place and if cards can sort of stack together you know it's it's tough because the artist in me is always fighting with the designer in me right so the yeah. artist wants the art to you know show all the art has to be big and it has to um, <laughs> you have to be able to see all of it at the same time. But then the the, the sort of the graphic designer and the game designer says, "Well, that's going to be really tiring after two hours of looking through that so many times." <laughs> yeah,
1: and it's also good to be aware that the human brain can only uh, pick up on so many things at one time. So, for instance, if you look on the board, your brain can only tell how many that is up to a certain number before you have to actually count how many it is. And being aware. Uh, that having a lot of information can be taxing and and overwhelming to a player.
0: Right, that's true. And you know, that's something I just am learning over time. I think one one aspect of doing this, doing art for people and art for my own games is that uh, I learn something new every time I do a game and I always feel like there's room to grow. So
1: Yeah, definitely. So what, you know, I'm just going to get your advice on specific uh, some a few different specific things. For instance, we were just talking about icons. Do you have any advice on icons and, and creating icons for games, placement for icons on cards or anything like that?
0: Yeah, so it's whenever I've designed cards, I always find I have to redesign the card if I put too much in the same area. So let's say a game has, um, maybe there's a cost on the card and then an ability that the card does and then maybe some kind of Income increase and then maybe a requirement that the card has and if you put all those things Like on the bottom of the card um, It becomes sort of a jumbled mess Mm. so as a as a rule of thumb. I like to put cost uh, in a corner maybe like the top left corner of the card and uh, You know that's a very common place to put um, like the cost to buy a card and then maybe near the bottom you put other information. But if it's all jumbled together, I remember in, especially in early uh, City of Iron card designs, I would try to cram a lot of the information sort of in the bottom, of uh, sort of a bottom box area, and it just didn't look. Uh, it, was, it was too much, there was too much information in such a small area.
1: Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point in using common expectations that players have. So for instance, if, if most games put a certain icon in a certain place, Using that to your advantage as opposed to trying to be too clever or trying to do something way out of the box because it can be confusing. <laughs> Have you run into that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's tempting to do something like, oh, this is cool. This hasn't been done before. But sometimes that's a bad idea. Right. <laughs> you know, new for the sake of new isn't always better. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, relying on. I know that, you know, in in storytelling, people rely a lot on tropes, and that can be a weakness, but it can also be a strength, you know, it can help tell a story. And I think there are game design tropes that uh, are not, it's not bad to lean on those.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and talk to like even colors and, and maybe you've kind of noticed this in, in some of the art you've done, you know, using red for certain things, using green for certain things, blue, all that. Have you, have you kind of noticed you use certain colors for certain things just because that's the normal expectation?
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, green usually means good or you get something. Red is like a negative thing, like mm-hmm. a payment. Um, occasionally, I do like to break those little rules, um, like for example, in, in uh, above and below – uh, I made the coins square, mm-hmm. and uh, I've had people, some people have complained about that. Now, I did that for creativity. You know, I wanted it. I did it for sort of to, as a world-building thing. I, these people use square coins, you know, right. but um, there's been a little pushback on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about advice for, like, logos? Because I, I assume you do all the logos and everything uh, for your games as well. So, um, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's trying to come up with a good logo for a game? They're trying to maybe create a brand, you know, something that can maybe uh, come out with expansions or other things that they want people to recognize. Any advice for the logo?
0: Yeah, so the logo, um, it's, it's always better to have, in my opinion, a simpler logo. I've seen some games that uh, maybe have a more intricate logo you know, this is maybe a personal preference thing, but it seems like you'll, you'll see that there's a, there's definitely a strength. If you can see, if you can tell what that logo is, if you can recognize it from a, from far away, uh, maybe without even reading it, you just know the combination of colors and the combination of shapes. I mean, that's really the important thing mm-hmm. that stands out and, and that you can remember I mean, that's really important. I mean, that goes to the, the iconography as well. If if you have the iconography in your game and you're trying to to put a symbol in there that represents something, it should be you know, it's 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 not always easy to make a symbol for every um, every action that someone would take, um, and I think some games uh, go a little too far with the iconography when when it makes the game you know even more hard to learn. yeah. Uh, that can be a detriment to the game because here's the truth of it. People these days aren't playing games hundreds of times. They're playing, you know, that first time has to be an enjoyable experience. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's definitely good uh, advice for a designer from a design standpoint, making sure that the mechanisms and that the game is enjoyable that first time. But it's part of that is the iconography. If someone has to be looking in the rule book the whole time for that first game, that's gonna be a negative experience for someone. I, I don't know if you've had that experience. Uh maybe playing a game.
1: Yeah, well I mean there's certain games that just have so many icons, you know, and so like the card is just full of all these different icons and 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 not every icon is easy to recognize. Like it doesn't necessarily um uh, makes sense what it stands for sometimes. And so you're constantly having to go in the rule book and, and try to remember and, and all those different things. And all that does is slow the game down and make it less enjoyable. It might be a great game, but you're not going to necessarily know that in the first time or two you play it because you're you're bogged down so much by the icons and, and <laughs> figuring it out.
0: Sure, that's true. Now, uh, one that people mention a lot is uh, Race for the Galaxy. It yes. has a ton of iconography, mm-hmm. right, right? And I will say my first uh, five plays, I was pretty much just lost the whole game. Right. But, you know, on the other hand, that iconography has made it so that um, when I play it now, because I'm so familiar with the game, it, it's, it's really uh, easy to play. Yeah. I can play it so quickly. So, it, like, it rewards someone that puts in the time, but it, it, it's, that, it's an extra hill that you have to climb at the beginning. Right. So, I would say in general... Um, it, it's definitely, you have to weigh, uh, it's a, it's a tug-of-war sort of idea. You have to decide how much iconography are we going to put in this game so that you can play it quickly once you learn it. But, you know, is it going to be too hard? Are people even going to get to that point is the question.
1: Right, I think it's a great point. You have to balance out the learning curve versus the long-term uh, results or the long-term benefits that people are going to get from those icons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, what about uh, advice on making really good-looking cards but that are also easy to understand? You've you kind of mentioned a few things already, but any any other advice on making a card that just looks really good but it's also functional?
0: Well, uh, there are some basic things I could say. Um, I've found that uh, high contrast on cards uh, is, is a good thing in general. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, um, so I'm going to go back to above and below. In above and below, there are uh, building cards where the top of the card is sort of a blue sky and a building and green grass and sort of the picture of the building. And then at the bottom of the card, it's it go, it's it's just very dark. It's like a dark stone. And um, all the icons I designed to... To sit on top of that dark stone, so the icons are light, and they sort of pop, and they're very easy to see on top of that dark stone. Um, cards tend to look a lot messier if you have um, different game icon elements that are too similar. So, if you know, if, for example, if I had instead of making that dark stone bottom on on the cards, if I had made it sort of a lighter paper, um, it would not have looked good with the uh, light icons. You know, they would have sort of mixed in too much with, with that paper. So that's something I, I tend to uh, lean lean on quite a bit when I'm designing cards.
1: Yeah, and so basically be aware of the big picture. Realize that all these things that you're, you're getting, the graphic design, the icons, the art, all those things, they're going to be on the same card. And so being aware of the colors and, and the shapes and all those good things.
0: Sure, sure. And, you know, something I... Uh, rely on a lot more than I used to is making a a Unified color scheme throughout the whole game Hmm. So when I start doing art for a game, I will usually make a palette. I'll sort of select colors for everything I'll select colors for the icons and for the art and for the You know everything that's in the game and make sure that those colors look good together But that they can also have you know sort of a good contrast next to each other um that's, that's something that, you know, a game artist should think about right off the bat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's such a great point. Use colors that go together, that match, that look good when they're next to each other. That's, that's advice that a lot of times you don't think about, but it, it makes a big <laughs> difference. Yeah, and I
0: mean in my earlier games I wasn't thinking about that as much, but it, it and it almost feels like I don't know what it is, but it's, it's like a part of me that feels like I'm cheating if I <laughs> yeah. if I stick to the same colors too much, but it, it really helps the final product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it makes it cohesive and it makes it uh, it makes it obvious of which game is which as well. Like I think about near and far it looks very different from above and below. Because the, the palette choices are very, very different. And so uh, it kind of goes back into that right. branding thing. You know, if you think about Coke, Coca-Cola, I mean, that red and white is very, very specific. And they will never, ever use a different t- uh, tone of red, ever. That is their color. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. even from a branding standpoint, it makes sense to figure out a palette and then use that and make it consistent.
0: Yeah, Definitely.
1: Let's talk about the the functionality as far as having your your art match the tone of your game. So making sure that you know if you have a fun and silly game that it has fun and silly artwork. Like, can you speak on that just for a moment?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's funny because I feel like the art for my game, generally for all my games, looks fairly friendly and um, welcoming and inviting. And some of my games have. Um, they're maybe more complex than the art indicates. Um, But I I don't think it's like a huge, you know, dissonance like it could be. (laughs) Yeah, but I will say, yeah, if you've got a light game with really serious looking art, the player that buys that game, they're going to be expecting something and then they're going to get something else and they're not going to be happy. So that's honestly, that's something we're always talking about. Like, does this game look... Uh, too intimidating for its audience is it too serious when the maybe the mechanics are kind of lighter but it looks too serious and so a serious gamer is going to buy it and they're going to be disappointed yeah that yeah i mean that's something you got to think about
1: what about advice for like worker placement games, like the game board? It can be such a challenge to make it look really good, but also very obvious as far as like where to put your workers, you know, what, what locations do, which things, those kind of things. So what advice would you give as far as making a functional, good-looking worker placement board?
0: Yeah, so I, you know, I'm a fan of uh, uh, Michael Menzel's work. Um, I think Stone Age is always a game that I go back to and look at. Um, I like it a lot because the Stone Age board has, um, it's so colorful and evocative of the place, but, um, what I like that he did in that board is he painted the, um, you know, he painted the landscape so that it, it left space for clear, uh, worker placement areas. Um, and it's, it's still simple. And so it's not like heavy on, on your, you know, it's not mentally fatiguing. And um, so, so I would say that's, <laughs> that's one I always look at. You know, I, I try to, I think having a place for people to put their workers is important. Uh, one thing I've noticed, and, and this is funny to say this, but near and far, you know, it's not out yet. And in the game, there's a worker placement element. You place your, your characters on the, on the town board. Uh, and they visit different buildings. They can take actions there now. I did not put um, Little like circles for players to put their uh, characters on um, Because I didn't want sort of the circles to bog down the art mm-hmm. But I have noticed that players uh, What I want them to do is place the characters on the pictures of the buildings But what players do is they tend to put them on the icons of the actions mm-hmm. and I didn't want them to do that because it sort of covers up the icon and I want other players to see that icon. So maybe it's funny to say this because the game's not even out yet, but but it's almost like I should have done the circles for the players to put their characters on because they would have done that and wouldn't have covered it would not have covered up the icons and but you know, the artist in me won over that argument again. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that gets back into using common expectations. I mean, most games they have a circle; they have a, a specific designated place to put that worker. And so, if a game doesn't have it, it confuses some people.
0: Right, right. And and you know, that's that's another trope. Yeah. And for me, I was trying to, uh, you know, the main reason I did it is. I, I want it to be more immersive. You know, I, I want players to be like, oh, I sent my guy to this building. So they put their character like in the building. Mm-hmm. But uh, there you go.
1: Yeah. And it makes sense to me. You know what I mean? It, it, and it's a good idea. <laughs> uh, but you're always just going to run into to certain uh, expectations that people have. And let's go back into that a comment you just made the artist in you versus the designer in you. So who who wins more often than not? Which side of that argument? <laughs>
0: well, you know, I think it's kind of a fifty-fifty thing. Um, there's sort of a the artist wants just art, you know. The designer wants clear icons, Right. and they sort of come to a compromise in the middle.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, usually it's clear enough. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to find um, games that are are overly that that have too much like graphic design. Um, uh, I I sort of am against that uh, look. It it feels um, too mechanical to me. It I sort of takes me out of the theme of the game. Yeah. Whenever I do icons and graphic design and artists, this is just me as a designer. I always try to make every icon and everything in the game feel what well, look like it's like it could belong in the world of the game. Right. Um. So that definitely influences my uh, iconography design and painting.
1: Definitely, and it makes your games more thematic. It really does. So, what about area control boards? You know, so it's so slightly different issue, similar but different with the worker placement, but wanting to make sure everything is very, very obvious as far as what zones are which, and you know, all those good things. But advice on area control.
0: So, with area control, you, yeah, you want to make sure that the uh, the um, this is funny because it's sort of lessons I've learned from past games. <laughs> so. One mistake that I made with uh, 8-Minute Empire, the first game, the map has um, different territories that I marked, uh, and it also has these tiny little islands that are spread throughout the map, and those islands, they don't have any, like, um, if there's a dotted line that leads to an island, that means you can go there. But there are some islands that are just sitting out in the middle of nowhere, and they're they're really just there for flavor. They're not there for any reason other right. than art and flavor. And you know, every time we play, people ask, "Oh, can I go to this place?" And you know, <laughs> no, the answer is no, you can't go. It's it's even too small to put your guy on. Uh-huh. But it it's uh, you know, it's something that uh, causes confusion. So.
1: Right, and so I guess you need There's to come up to with a, about. a submarine expansion that people can go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that you can go to that island. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Well, let's move into kind of some pros and cons. What are and we you've kind of mentioned a couple already, but what are some of the pros and cons of doing art for your own game?
0: Well, it's nice to be able to. Um, you know, know exactly what the designer wants. (laughs) Well, and it's funny to say that because I don't actually always know what the designer wants, (laughs) even though it's me. Uh, So there's a lot of experimentation and back and forth sort of thing. But there's definitely, it's, it's a faster process. When I work for other people and they describe something that they want, it's always difficult to sort of figure that out. And sometimes that has resulted in a lot of extra work and confusion because maybe I'll, I'll have something in mind, they'll make it, and then uh, they look at it and they, they say, no, I, this, isn't a, this isn't anything like what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, but at least if I'm doing my own art, I know I have a rough idea of what I want. And there's some sort of uh, stumbling around in the darkness trying to find exactly what that should be, but it's not nearly uh, – the process is a lot quicker and not, not as difficult.
1: Right. You know, it can be so hard to describe sometimes what is exactly in your head, you know, as far as what something looks like or what a, a person looks like or a continent or whatever. It can be difficult to kind of get that information out in a way that's understandable for somebody else. So I guess if if all the information's in your head and you're the one drawing it, it just kind of bridges that gap a lot easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would recommend all designers to do art for their own game, but I know... <laughs> that's uh that's not always possible (laughs)
1: yeah yeah that uh that would end. we would end up with a lot of really ugly games if that was the case i know for me personally that would definitely be the case what are some things that uh that just didn't work like you're you're working on your own game you're working on the art you've got the idea in your head but it just did not work like you just couldn't make it make it work
0: well you know i have a closet full of uh things that didn't work (laughs) Uh, lots of designs that 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 uh, I had to scrap or didn't quite uh, pan out. Uh, specifically with um, graphic design, you know, uh, I could talk about near and far. I was doing, I painted a few of the maps. Actually, I painted maybe four or five, I think five of the maps. And in the middle of development, I decided to uh, start over, completely over. Mm. And it was, that was difficult because I'd spent, you know, weeks painting these things. Um, and the reason I started over is that I got to the point where some of the maps just weren't clear enough. And, um, I felt like the graphic design that I had made for that first map, it worked well enough on the first map, but maybe on some of the later maps I wanted to explore new, uh, uh, geographic areas and they d- they just didn't look good with that graphic design it was too messy and so I had to start over in that case
1: yeah and that could be a little frustrating right
0: yeah and you know that's how it is with with game designing game mechanics I mean I know right. uh, that's it's all about that it's all about iteration and trying new things and dumping things that don't work and it's really the same with uh, doing the art
1: yeah how much time do you think you spend on average, on one of your games doing the art?
0: It really depends on the game. Um, I just finished a game recently. Uh, It's sort of a route-building game with a map and some cards, and, uh, you know, that game just took a few weeks Mm -hmm. to do the art. Um, But uh, a game like City of Iron, with so many uh, unique illustrations, took months, you know, because maybe one card illustration might take me one day, mm-hmm. and if a game has 60 of those or 80 of those, you know, the time really adds up.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So let's go kind of on the other side of the coin. What are the big pros and cons you found from working uh, for other people, other companies, other, other games that you didn't have any uh, of the input on the design? Or you're just the artist.
0: It's fun to work with somebody else uh, in in some ways because I think collaboration can be a exciting process. Uh, it's fun when when two people have ideas that they can throw at something. On the other hand, um, you know, like I mentioned before, it's it's hard to know exactly maybe what the designer has in mind, and so there could be a lot of extra work that I normally could avoid um, if I was just doing my own game, but. Because it's some, it's another person's design. It's like I've got to sort of figure out what they need, and that could mean a lot of extra uh, changes. <laughs> um, and I would also say, you know, it's it's really hard to nail down how long a project's going to take. I really like doing my own stuff because I have more flexibility uh, to redesign something. Like if I had been painting those maps for somebody else for near and far i don 't think I would have had the luxury to redesign them to start over because once i'd spent that time that you know that's money that I have to be thinking about, and they're not going to be they 're probably not going to be willing to pay me to redo everything <laughs> right. so that's uh, that's a big part of it
1: absolutely so kind of changing gears a little bit. what advice would you give you know as an artist, what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to maybe they're doing a kickstarter campaign maybe they're you know maybe they're a publisher trying to uh, solicit art for a game what advice would you give them on hiring an artist like what do they need to ask like what questions they need to ask what do they need to look for
0: well they should have a very clear idea of um the amount of uh illustrations that are needed in the game the other thing to think about is players often or i mean game designers you usually think that there's only one person involved in doing the art, but the truth is, it's better if there are two. Um, if you've got a uh, an illustrator and a graphic designer, because the the two jobs are pretty different, and and at the end of the day, you want a graphic designer that has that knows what they're doing. Um, there could be a lot of sort of expensive mistakes that could happen if you have a graphic designer that um, doesn't know maybe they don't know how to uh lay out the files for the printer or they have no experience with InDesign or illustrator so that's a big part of it and then for the art i would say um these days you have to invest in in a good artist i think years ago you could get by with something that wasn't quite as you know that was just good enough but the competition is so uh, huge these days. I mean, to have a successful Kickstarter project, the the game really has to look amazing.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely. People are gonna definitely judge the book by the cover. They're gonna look at the art and 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 say yes or no just based on it. A lot of times.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. That there's uh, there's a lot of the judging the book by the cover. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a lot. Uh, you know, you talk about that with like uh, books of the bookstore, but it's really important uh, with games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know. I know personally, like when I look at a Kickstarter and I'm deciding if I'm going to, it's not even deciding if I'm going to back it. It's deciding if I'm even going to look in depth at the game. The first thing I do is I look at the components <laughs> laid out on a table. The first, I look for a picture of what the cards and the board and all the, what it all looks like. And then I decide, okay, do I really want to spend the time to watch the how to play video, to watch the different things that are on that page? Like I, I personally, I judge the mess out of a game right off the bat and if it doesn't look really well done if it doesn't look like somebody has taken the time and and done it the right way then I'm not going to back it that's just kind of how I feel
0: yeah and I think most gamers the first thing they want to see is just that game laid out on the table they want to see what all the cards look like set up and all the components and and you you know it's it's funny because you can tell a certain amount just by that one picture right Absolutely.
1: Yeah, like if I see a game that the that has a main board and the main board is charts and tracks, I don't want to play it. Like I just I don't care. I I don't feel like it's going to be a as, as thematic of a game as I want to play. I love theme for games, right. and so if, if a board is just numbers and and charts and graphs or you know whatever, I I'm just not going to get into it. I want to see something that has a map and a location or you know a bunch of locations and different things going on. Uh, otherwise, I know I'm probably not going to like it. Even if the mechanics are perfect and it's a wonderfully balanced game and all that good stuff, well, if it doesn't look like a thematic game, I don't, I don't want to play it. Usually, right. it's kind of how I, I jump to that first conclusion. Right. I mean, I
0: mean, I'm, I'm fairly similar in that regard. So,
1: <laughs> you know, and going back to what you were saying about kind of specialization, this is something Jamie Stegmaier talked about in the very first episode of the podcast. Is don't hire an artist and that also does graphic design. Go get one that does one really well and one that does the other really well and don't just assume that because this person does good art that they're going to do good icons or they're going to do good graphic design because that's a lot of times not the case. Most people aren't specialists in both. and so That's
0: tr- that's true. That's interesting you said that uh, because that really is true. I mean, there are people that can do both, but most of the time uh, you want you want two different people. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that's something he ran into in his very first game, uh, in his first Kickstarter project, was was trying to get one person to do both angles. And it just didn't work out. And it ended up costing him a lot more money in the long run than it would have at the beginning just to hire two different people. And so being aware that, that art and graphic design are actually very, very different in a lot of ways. Even just the the file types and the file setups and all those like kind of back-end stuff, that's, that's also very different.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like knowledge that you wouldn't expect that you would need for the graphic design part. Just getting the files ready for the printer is a complicated process.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and so being aware of that. Um, let's go into some do's and don'ts. on on working with an artist like for instance do pay them like one thing that bothers me so much is when someone (laughs) says oh it'll be good for your portfolio or you'll get a lot of exposure or you know like no pay that person yeah that's pay them what they're worth (laughs) yeah it's absolutely garbage quit trying to do stuff for free like if you believe in your game then put the money into it to get something that looks good you know even if it's just a few things for a kickstarter campaign just a few pieces of art pay people what they're what they're worth and so let's go into some more do's and don'ts from that artist uh, standpoint so let me
0: see if i can think of a few things i mean that's definitely true you want to uh if you are a creative person or you know if you're if someone's hiring you to do a freelance job if they say oh you know you can we'll pay you an exposure (laughs) that's just definitely a bad a bad deal yeah um some other things to avoid, you know again, uh, probably don't try to do it yourself. Mm. Uh, you know I, I did that, but um, there were a lot of mistakes and things that uh, I had to uh, things I had to learn uh, along the path. Um, but it, you know it, it really doesn't hurt to teach yourself um, some some basic software skills. Uh, learning the basics of Photoshop, learning the basics of Illustrator—all that information is online, and you can learn it in, you know, a few hours, mm-hmm. and it can it can do a lot for you. But in the at the end of the day, yeah, I get somebody to do, it for, to do the final uh, graphic design for you. Um, other things to avoid: uh, if let's say you're starting out, you know, you're making your first game, don't make a game with tons of illustrations. Mm-hmm. You know something to think about is try to figure out how to reuse art in in as many ways as you can like somebody's going to be uh spending a lot of time painting that cover is there another place you could use the cover image could you use it on like at the back of a card or you know a player board or something else um that's totally acceptable uh and it will save money and it'll save time uh it's a, it's a good thing Uh, A couple, another do we talked about before is uh, make sure that the color scheme of the game is coherent and um, that the components look good next to each other. Um, I will say this: uh, try to avoid too many of the same type of component. So, if let's say the game is just tons, just has a ton and ton of uh, punched cardboard pieces. Uh, if you have too many of those it can become unwieldy to, uh, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, something I've learned is it's having a 3d, sort of a 3d texture of the game is, is a good thing. So let's say you've got a board and you have the choice of having some, uh, you know, cardboard pieces on the board. Ask yourself, can some of these be meeples? And maybe you don't like meeples because they're not, uh, detailed enough, but, um, Just having a 3D piece in there makes the game uh, easier to use just from a user standpoint.
1: Right. I think another thing to be aware of is, you know, think about games that have hundreds of little tokens. Well, you have to spend a certain amount of time at the beginning of the game separating those out, you know, and and putting them in little different piles so you know where everything is. And so being aware of what kind of art uh, impact, what kind of impact the art and the design is going to have on Uh, setup time and takedown time and those kind of things as well
0: oh yeah totally something i try to avoid is uh, making players and yes i have not avoided it on uh, many of my games (laughs) but uh if at the if if a player is setting up the game they they take out the cards do they have to go through those cards and take out a certain number of them depending on the player count that's, uh, that's another wall, you know, that's going to get in the way of playing the game. Right. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, oh, you know, having cards that are different sizes hmm. is not a bad idea. You know, you have one, si- one size of card is a certain thing, and maybe you have like a mini card for something else. Then it's easier for players to see the two differences, and they can separate them easily, and, and uh, setup is more, uh, it's just a, a cleaner experience.
1: Exactly. What about uh, some of the do's and don'ts as far as approaching an artist? So let's say I, I have hired an artist to do art for my game and I'm, I need to approach them about changes and I want certain things to be done differently or art to be changed or maybe redone. What's the best way to approach that uh, with an artist?
0: Well, I think uh, you should be very clear right off the bat um, about what you're expecting out of the artist and what the artist is expecting from you. Mm -hmm. So maybe the artist gives you a quote. You should ask for a quote, um, to do the art for the game, but you should also specify how many times they're willing to alter something. So maybe the, the artist, um, has a, a, a limit of two times that they're willing to alter a piece of art or a piece of design that that's in the game, right? Um, that's going to make the artist happier and that's going to make you happier, I think, because, um, the artist, (laughs) what's going to happen is maybe you just have a lot of changes in mind. If the artist doesn't know what to expect, they might get resentful. Hmm. Um, so they should know that they're there, that there are going to be some changes and that you're going to need to be able to tell, you know, make those changes. So that should sort of be included in the quote.
1: Gotcha. And so I know, in other words, clarity is incredibly important. Just being very clear on the expectations, what, what, you know, both sides are thinking uh, and just clarity on every aspect that you can think of.
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that artist is going to want a little bit of instruction. You know, you, you as the designer should have a lot of the icons, you know, in my opinion, you shouldn't be relying on the artist to come up with the icons. Like, you should already have them figured out. You just, you just need the artist to draw them in a in a pretty way. You know. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> like, you should figure out what what those icons are. That's the that's the game designer's job.
1: Right. Let's take that a step further. How much? Let's say I've got a space game, and I'm I'm trying to uh, I want to have all these different alien races, and they're from different planets, and they'll look different how much information do I need to give an artist to help them come up with these different illustrations for these different aliens? And I guess, you know, partly that could be a case by case basis. Different artists will need different things, but just in your experience, how much information should I hand to somebody to help them fully realize what I'm thinking?
0: Well, um, yeah, it kind of depends. Like if you as the designer have something very specific in mind Then you might want to write, you know, a paragraph describing the thing and then also send maybe reference pictures Mm. that you found. Say, I want it to look kind of like this. Um, On the other hand, a lot of artists like to have a little creative, you know, creative freedom. So um, and I think some artists do their best work when they have a little bit of freedom there. You know, it, so it's sort of a balancing act. It, it really depends on the artist, but I would say an artist will appreciate if they get a if they can put a little bit of, of themselves into the art as well.
1: Right. Well, Ryan. Also, man, do you have any other advice for people as far as making games look good and function well? Uh, no,
0: I, <laughs> nothing comes to mind. But, uh, uh you know, there's. I, I will say this. Um, I'm always learning new things, and I think studying other games is important. Yeah. And not just games, but graphic design and art in general. You know, go go look at a magazine. You know, see what – go look at a, a, a maybe a book um, at the bookstore. You can – you know, even flipping through the graphic design of, of various books, maybe a book about, uh, you know, a, a country or an animal or something like that, and just seeing how they're laying out the information can be very uh helpful
1: definitely and that's that's the thing where you can really create kind of uh like an ideas board or something you know either online or in real life of of taking ideas from magazines ideas from pictures and different things you've seen of colors that go well together icons that look really good um, games that look good books that look good all those different things and i feel like that can be very helpful as you figure out your game, you can say, okay, I like this, I like this, and then figure out how to put all those things together to make a really good-looking uh, end product.
0: Yeah, I mean, games are not the only uh, form of media that have uh, that have icons. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a great point. Well, cool, man. Well, we're going to go into a bonus round here in just a minute. I'm going to ask Ryan his advice for art for a Kickstarter campaign. He's run, uh, I do believe, 12 Kickstarters at this point. Is that right, 12? Uh, yeah something like I think that I 12 <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to ask him about uh, his advice on art for a Kickstarter campaign so if you want to check that out go to boardgamedesignlab.com check out the bonus section where all our lightning rounds and bonus uh, material exists and uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in Ryan really appreciate you being on the show man
0: yeah happy to be here
1: and I'm excited for, for the games you got coming out it's, it, you know you've had a really good run so far and 2017 looks like it's going to just continue that and be even better And uh, thanks Well, cool. Well, I appreciate your time, and I will uh, check you out in the bonus round.
0: Okay. Sounds good. See you. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?